Hi, podcast listener. Welcome to Truth About Exits, a show dedicated to pulling back the curtain to reveal what it really takes to get deals closed. You'll hear directly from founders of companies who have raised capital, sold their companies, and even those who acquire other companies for growth. I'm your host, Corin Woodmass. I'm a dealmaker, advisor, and when I'm not closing deals, I love to talk to others about their deals and what it took to get them closed. And now you can listen into these conversations too. For all the show notes and more resources, go to truthaboutexits.com. And we're live. So today on Truth About Exits, I have my good friend Rob Barry on the call, and we've got some really interesting stuff to cover on today's call. I asked Rob to come on um, the call partially because he sold his business, but more interestingly after that is his journey through investing. And we've had the good pleasure of hanging out multiple times over the last few years, and I think you're going to get a kick out of Rob's approach. But Rob, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, glad to be here, Corin. Awesome. So, Rob, could you tell the guys what you were up to? So, you built and sold an e-commerce business, and we won't reveal the brand name or the terms of that deal, of course. You actually went with another brokerage, um, so we won't talk about that too much at all. I think there's more interesting stuff to talk about today. But what were you doing before you started your e-commerce business? Yeah, so my background was actually as a, a newspaper journalist. That's what I went to school for and what I did for the first you know, five or so years of my professional career. Uh, there was another startup company that I had gotten involved in. We were trying to do video classified sort of Craigslist meets YouTube sort of thing, but that didn't work out. We were all too young and inexperienced to create a viable model there. So I guess early on, I was sort of bouncing between writing for newspapers and websites and trying to start a business. And ultimately, the business that I sold in 2017 was the one that kicked off and ended up doing pretty well. Awesome. So you built this business with a little help from someone who'd been there before. So you're a big fan of mentors, which is great. So that's awesome. And what was it about running the business or what happened to make you finally say, yes, I'm ready to sell this business? What happened or what was the thought process there? Yeah, and it's it's a good thing to bring up that mentorship. I mean, that's my approach to most things in life is to find something or somebody who knows it better than me, better than anybody else I know, and, and get next to them, make myself indisposable to the extent that I can and, and learn what they know. I think it's a great way to go about things. But yeah, so in terms of what got me to want to sell, it was really a number of factors that all came together. I had always wanted to be more involved in real estate. But I never wanted to, I mean, you know, everybody's got a class to sell, right? You know, getting involved in real estate with low and no money down. I think that's all crap. You need money to be involved in real estate to do it really well without having to just constantly hustle and and starve yourself, you know, to to greatness. So, you know, I really wanted to build a business and then exit at some point and then diversify into real estate. And my thought process on how I was going to go about that has changed a little bit since I actually got active. But I had always had this figure in my mind of, you know, when my business is worth about this much, you know, I'll exit and then move on to other things. Uh, So I was living overseas with my wife uh, when, you know, I realized that day had come and I had been preparing for a few years, you know, getting my books in order, getting the growth curve nice and, you know, up and to the right and having a steady stream of product launches and improvements. You know, I realized as well at that point, you know, that margins had never been better prospects look good, growth was in the pipeline, and that, you know, as a a purchasable asset, it was 
very attractive from the perspective of somebody who would want to come on and take it on. You know, I had pretty much automated myself out of it. You know, and then there was also the consideration that, what, 10 years now or so into a, a bull run, a major economic expansion, prices are high across all sorts of assets. And there's a lot of discussion that, you know, we're pretty late in this cycle, which means that valuations are high, things are expensive, and, you know, it's not going to last forever. You know, sooner or later, something will happen and it'll be trickier to grab that liquidity that's out there right now. So, you know, I guess for all those reasons, you know, with a sprinkling of the fact that I was living overseas and, and would have to pay a lot less taxes if I disposed the asset while living in London, it all came together and just made the decision pretty easy for me. Awesome. You talk about that like it was a super calm, easy straightforward position. So you mentioned a couple things there, economic cycles, you mentioned taxes, you mentioned getting the growth trend in the right direction of the business before going to sell. So you you took the time to plan your exit, which is what we recommend everyone do when they're thinking about it. Um, On the economic front, is there any resources that you would recommend people read? How would someone go about that if they're not really versed on economics at all? Yeah. So, I mean, I had the benefit of, well, I just have a fantastic wife. Um, she had gone to Babson College, which is you know number one or two business school, I think private business school in the country. And she got me involved in an accelerator program there, you know, organized by that school in, in Goldman Sachs called 10,000 Small Businesses. And not to say that I'm trying to shout out to them specifically, but the whole, you know, the whole thing that that program was about was, you know, bringing sort of Fortune 500 thinking to small business people, you know, to people who maybe don't have an MBA or any formal education in business. And I certainly didn't. And, you know, what really, I mean, that was probably the seminal moment that got me thinking long term about the business that I had, you know, because, you know, as a lot of people that you and I both know, Corin, are very, you know, lifestyle business oriented. We launch products when the growth slows down, you know, we, we don't, you know, work ourselves, you know, to the bone. Uh, well, you certainly do, but <laughs> you know most of the people we know are not sleeping under their desks at night. When I went through this program, you know, and just learned about forecasting and you know discounted cash flows and planning for exit, the number one thing that they really tried to hammer home is you need to be planning your exit from day one. You need to know, you know, what does an asset that's a hot target for acquisition look like? You know, what are the elements present? You know, how are your financials doing? You need to be able to call up your P&L with some, you know, modicum of accuracy at a moment's notice just to to keep track of, you know, how the growth curve is moving. And you have to sort of have an exit plan in mind or else, you know, you might never get out or you might get out on terms you don't want. So it was really through the course of coming up with the growth plan and all that, that, you know, which I didn't really follow, but it at least got me to think about, okay, what does this business mean to me? How long do I want to hold on to it? And at what point will I be okay with letting it go? And I think, you know, you mentioned before (laughs) how easy I made it sound like the decision was. It wasn't an easy decision, but having thought about it so much, so many years in advance really made it, you know something that was more actionable when when all the conditions were right. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's really important to start thinking early. And you may actually find like you did doing planning and the like doesn't really end up becoming the plan, but at least putting pen to paper and figuring out where you're at 
what you're thinking about, where you want to go, will give you more insight into when that time window for you to sell the business could be. So yeah, I think that's super good advice there, mate. I appreciate that. And let's jump forward a little bit. So you sold the business, you got the cash in the bank. Um, what do you do next? You know, I'll never forget that moment. I was sitting with my wife at a table at La Dame de Pique, this wonderful restaurant in London at the Four Seasons Hotel. And I got a message from my attorney saying, you know, we're all set. Check your account. And, you know, so I, I logged into my, my Chase app and pulled up the balance and saw all those zeros. And it was, it's, it's just one of those moments, you know, in life. But at the same time, you know, I, I felt kind of saddled now with this responsibility. And, you know, to anybody who's thinking about selling a business, especially one that they've owned for, you know, five, 10 years, you know, a good amount of time, you've got to realize that, you know, when you get that exit, when you get that cash injection, this sort of represents, you know, the fruits of your labor in your life up until this point. And you can't take that lightly. So, you know, the first thing I did was nothing. I didn't buy anything. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't, you know, live my life any way outside of the normal, you know, outside of the ordinary, because in my mind, you know, that wasn't cash that I had to spend, you know, that was capital that I worked hard for over the past seven years. And until it was generating a return, I actually felt quite poor, you know, because I didn't have cash flow. You know, and so I went about really spending the next year, even up until now, I'm still at it, just studying some of the great investment minds, you know, that we've had Warren Buffett, and Charlie Munger, and then a lot of real estate books that I've been reading. David Lindahl is really great. Uh, there's, there's so many trying to figure out how to come up with you know, a strategy for portfolio design. So that's really what I started doing. I think the, probably the best book I, I read, you know, shout out to Benjamin Graham's Intelligent Investor. <laughs> that's probably a good starting point for anybody who's just had a, a decent liquidity event. You know, and that, that mostly covers you know, dealing with the stock market, but just trying to not make any super rash moves. Because you know, one of the challenges is, you know, as I mentioned before, I think we're very late in an economic cycle. And it's not generally a good time to invest in much. You know? So what does one do? Okay, you've got cash. You, know, you want to make a return on that. But most things are pretty expensive. So, you know, I guess it just comes down to coming up with an approach that works for you. And, you know, I've, I've been slowly developing one that I think works for me, but it's going to be a little different for each person, you know, but you know, the whole thing is to be intentional about it, you know, to not just, you know, snap up whatever opportunity comes your way, but to really sit and think, you know, what do I want, you know, all of this capital to be doing? Absolutely. I think that's great advice. I think it was Warren Buffett who said he wishes every investor had a punch card. Was it six or five investments that they could make in their entire life? <laughs> and he said right. most investors would do much better if they only had five or six shots at investing. So yeah, I think that's wise advice. It's tough when you have a lump sum of cash in the bank and no cash flow coming in anymore to feel that urgency to deploy the capital, like you said, to get a return on that capital. So, But it is good to remember that you don't have to rush. And rushing is actually a really bad decision. If you were to do it over again, I know you're very bullish on real estate and we've had multiple conversations about real estate, but would you recommend someone, you said before they need access to capital to really move the needle in, in real estate, but would you suggest someone maybe looking at reading 
the intelligent investor now, even while they're still running their business, what would you recommend someone would, should do? And what do you think you should have done? Or if you were to go back in time and say, Rob, <laughs> while you're doing this other planning, do this as well. Yeah, well, I mean, top of mind, if I could go back and change a few things, I'll tell you one thing I wouldn't do, which is mess around so much with all that crypto garbage, you know, but (laughs) fortunately, I had read Benjamin Graham's The Intelligent Investor and know that you never put more than a couple of points of your net worth at risk on highly speculative assets. So, you know, it's it didn't really come back to bite me in a big way as much as some people I know. But you know, let's just say I'm not really pleased with the returns in the speculative part of my portfolio currently. But yeah, no, I, th- I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that you know, success, wealth, poverty, all of this stuff is a combination of mindset, you know, a little bit of luck, and you know what knowledge you've gone out and gained. You know, and all these things sort of work together as you look at opportunities and recognize opportunities and, you know, either act on them or not. But I think, you know, given that this is a podcast for people who are looking to, you know, sell, potentially buy businesses, these are people who are going to be dealing with various amounts of capital through the course of their life. So I would absolutely recommend reading books like that. I mean, Intelligent Investor itself is kind of old school and it's very dense and, you know, different people will get a different amount out of it. Go to the Bogleheads forum, you know, and learn about uh, index fund investing and how rare it is that anybody's able to beat market averages, um, you know, being okay with just beta returns. You know, I I think, uh, you know, I can't say that there's too much that I would really do a lot differently. I mean, I'm not really a person who feels a lot of regret, you know, but definitely... I scale back my involvement and time spent thinking about crypto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, you know what I, that's, I think there's a few. Sorry. Yeah. Ahead, you know bro. what I could say though, if I could go back to when I was still running the business, you know, one thing I've learned a lot more about now that I'm on the other side and looking at all different types of, you know, different firms approaches to investments and what they offer. When I was running my business, I never thought much about leverage and, you know, the potential use of leverage. I mean, I had a, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar line of credit that I almost never used. And, you know, every, every year or so I'd go and ask for them to increase it. And they'd say, well, you haven't been using it, you know, so I'd, I'd put an order of product on, on that. And then say, oh, see, look, I used it. Now let's bump it up a little bit. But, you know, when you have something like a seven figure business with no leverage on it, yeah, it's an incredible collateralizable asset that you can use for things like buying other businesses, you know, and what I might think about if I could do it over again, which I mean, it was a different time and place. I was seeing the world I was traveling and so I wouldn't have done this and I didn't, but I didn't, I also know about it is, you know, I might've thought about growth through acquisition, you know, cause you know, the, the larger your business is, the more institutional, the players that would be interested in it tend to be the higher multiples you can get, you know, and if if you can take out, you know, say 50% of the value of, you know, a $2 million business, you know, take that million dollars and then, you know, get an SBA loan, you could go and buy a $10 million business, run that for a few years. And if you can move the needle just a little bit by, I don't know, streamlining operations, get a considerable return, which isn't something, you know, that, that really lifestyle business oriented people would do. But certainly I think, you know, where I move from here, you know, ultimately, I, I do plan to acquire a business and start thinking more intelligently about leverage. 
Mm, for sure. Yeah, I think it's easy to say in hindsight, but in that that bootstrapped mode, you know, you've mentioned multiple times you started with very little cash, very five little capital grand. when you started, yeah, I started your company. With about five grand in my pocket. <laughs> I literally dumped my four hundred one k into my bank account and maxed out all my credit cards, and uh, man, I had nothing. <laughs> It's sometimes the back against the wall mentality that gets you to a certain point holds you back at the next level. So yeah, the thought of acquisition is something I bring up with a lot of people. And when I speak, I often will spend about half my time talking about acquisitions because I find it fascinating. I actually met a guy who built an e-commerce business to 1 billion in annual revenue and 300 million of that was via acquisition. So it's a definite proven strategy of of acquiring and bolting together. Um, you mentioned improvements. I mean, for the sake of an actual sale, sometimes just centralizing operations is enough to get the business to a sellable point. So sometimes, and I love the fact that you said, look up as well. This is something usually blows people's minds is looking into a higher asset class or a larger business instead of everyone normally looks down. So I think that's really good advice. Awesome. So yeah, we've covered a lot here um, so far. I'd love to get your take on a little bit more on real estate, if you would mind to share. I know you started with single family homes and you've done some other stuff since. Um, If someone was just getting started and well, let's use you as as an example. So I won't talk in generalities. I'll make it more about you because obviously we're not giving financial advice here. Neither of us are licensed to do that. But I'm curious if you were to go back to yourself while you were in the business, running the business, and you said, hey, Rob, let's look at some real estate. Where would you have started? And would you have started sooner? Yeah, so absolutely. And I did I did start before I sold the business. I think the first single family home I acquired was you know, maybe a little less than a year before I exited. But the thing about real estate, especially in the U.S., the way that our tax code is set up, there's really no asset that affords a person the ability to make use of leverage and you know compound growth the way that real estate allows for. You know, as soon as you buy an asset, you can start depreciating you know the value of it steadily over time. You know, against your earnings. Now that we've got this twenty percent deduction you know, that can come off of certain real estate earnings. We have an entire industry of lending set up to be, you know, secured against collateralized real estate assets with very decent rates. You know, you can lever up a single family home for, you know, less than 5%. You know, how are you going to get, where where are you going to get a commercial loan, you know, for, for rates like that? You know, there's just so much to it that I really think makes it, I mean, it's basically the oldest business, you know, it's it's a business of kings. So if I could go back and get started, probably what I would do is pick up a little known book by Sean Cook, which is a pseudonym, but it's called Investing in Real Estate Private Equity. And this guy, he's an insider. He's been in the industry maybe, you know, 20 or 30 years, and he just breaks down all of the particulars of dealing with private equity deals. If you're getting involved in real estate, right, you can either be active or passive about it. If you're running a business, you're probably going to want to be passive about it because you don't need two businesses. So, you know, going out hunting for a bunch of single family homes and getting them renovated and rented, you know, that's, that's you're not going to have the bandwidth for that. But if you have 
stable cash flow and you're earning, you know, much more than you need to spend, you could put it in a savings account, okay, or you could put it in the stock market, you know, or you can invest in, you know, what are essentially highly tax advantageous other businesses, real estate businesses uh, that offer compelling returns and, you know, capital events and, and all that great stuff. So that's probably what I would focus on, you know, is more of the private equity side of things. I mean, of course, you kind of need to be an accredited investor to play meaningfully in that realm. So, you know, your business would have to be doing pretty well. But even if not, you know, there are a number of crowdfunding platforms out there and certainly some are better than others. I don't really use any of them, you know, because I've joined up with a couple of you know tight knit circles of high net worth individuals who all they do is look at real estate deals and they, you know, share you know, what's the cream of the crop and, you know, negotiate, you know, for, for better terms on that stuff. The deal flow is pretty strong there, you know, but if you're just starting out, you know, you could at least, you know, join a couple of the crowdfunding, the real estate crowdfunding platforms and start looking at deals and doing diligence. You know, there's a lot of factors that determine whether or not a deal is going to be successful. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's far less moving parts to real estate than there are with businesses. You know, I mean, People need a place to sleep. There's only a limited quantity of land that exists, you know, and if you're in a hotter market, you know, where all the jobs are, you know, generally things are going to be going up for a while and it's not terribly correlated to the stock market. So it's, you know, it makes sense to have some meaningful exposure to that, especially, you know, us being so far along in the economic cycle, as far as the stock market is concerned, you know, maybe we're a little less far in a lot of the sub markets in real estate, which is very you know, regional and, and market and submarket specific. So yeah, maybe I've been <laughs> rambling on a bit. Feel free to direct my thought process here. No, no. <laughs> no, I think that's super useful. Um, the economic cycle thing, um, I did read one of David Lindell's books and he was talking a lot about economic cycles and movement of jobs and, and the like. So I guess the biggest takeaway is start working on your mindset, number one to believe this is possible, that you can start investing before selling a business and then start looking at which assets make sense to you. A lot of people do default to real estate because like I said, it's the it's the business of kings. So maybe take a look at that. Take a look at other options as well. Find someone who's actually doing it. Like you said, Rob, you've got a group that's exclusively looking at deals. So it makes it very easy for you to come up to a high level of competency quicker when you're working with other people that are already doing it. So that seems to be a recurring theme. Uh, we've known each other for a while and that's a recurring theme I see with you as you find who's doing what and then go learn from them and then try and connect with people on a one-to-one -one basis to get that extra level of knowledge. And that's worked pretty yeah, well for you. It's so no sense in no... trying to reinvent the wheel. I mean, most most things that can be done have been figured out by somebody. You just got to go find that person. You know, it's nothing particularly you know crazy about it. It's just, you know, something you go and do and slowly, you know, ask the right questions and make sense of things. I think everybody right. should invest and you know, if, if there's one takeaway that I can really leave someone with, it's to it's to start thinking intentionally, you know, about what would they invest in, what would their portfolio look like, and you know, it, it's great to talk to a financial advisor about this stuff. You know, you know, somebody who's a fiduciary who is, has to take your best interest in mind when the time is right, they can be very helpful. But you know, it's you don't want to wait until you start to start investing. I mean, if you start in your twenties, you know, the, the effects of compounding, you know 
by the time you're, you know, by the time you're 50, you know, if, if you just save like $10 a day, <laughs> by the time you're 50, you'll be a millionaire just, just from that, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, starting small is definitely the thing. I think you touched on mindset and a lot of, uh, really the biggest difference I see between smaller operators and larger operators is 100% mindset and also their willingness to invest in improving their mindset, whether that be going to conferences, getting mentors, um, joining mastermind groups, but also doing something every day to move that needle forward. So even just as simple as reading books and listening to podcasts can actually help quite a lot. So mate, this has been awesome. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to jump on the call here. But is there anything else before we wrap up here that you'd like to add on this specific topic of mostly what we'll be calling this is more around the investing side. So having a liquidity event and then investing or anything else yeah, you'd like to add? Um, I think the number one rule of investing, or I guess of effective capital management, in my opinion, is to not spend principal. You know, and like that's basically my goal is to live a life where I never spend the principal that I could be investing in things, only the cash flow that you make off of what you've invested. So that right now means, you know, even though I've had my little, you know, seven figure liquidity event until I get my cash flow up, you know, I'm not going around, you know, driving Range Rovers, chartering yachts or any of that stuff because, you know, I can't do that all that stuff passively. And I, I don't know if this is what the fire movement is all about. And there's always some, you know, soup du jour of, of investment philosophy. But I think the goal should be ultimately to not spend principal. And then you're truly free. Hmm, absolutely. No, that's the thing. It's not about taking your income and, and enjoying that. That's going to be temporary, whatever that is. Uh, yeah, that's solid advice, mate. I really like it. <laughs> awesome. Well, um. Is there any way that people could reach out to you or is there something else that someone could read that you've done that you'd like to share with people or are we just going to leave it at that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can you can hit me up at rob at robberry.com. My website doesn't have a lot on it. There's some, some photography, but <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm always game to chat to people. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely reach out to Rob if you have any any further questions or just want to let him know that you liked his episode. Hopefully you found that as useful and helpful as I did. I appreciate your time again, Rob, and I look forward to catching up with you back in New Jersey soon. My pleasure, Corin. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Truth About Exits. Now, whenever you're ready, here are three ways I can help you. If your company is doing between 10 to 50 million plus in revenue and you want help to plan your perfect exit to achieve the highest value and best deal terms possible, or if you'd like advice on acquiring other companies to continue to grow your company, we can help. Go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. There you'll see a simple form to tell us a little bit more about you, your company and your goals. And my team and I will take it from there. So go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. The second way I can help is become a guest on our show. If you've had a successful exit, you want to share your story, or if you're actively acquiring other businesses and want to share your criteria with our audience, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash guest. Let's connect and I'd love to talk to you. The third way I can help you is one of my favorite things in the entire world is sharing the truth about exit stories with other entrepreneurs by speaking at events all over the world. So far, I've had the privilege of speaking at events in the US, Canada, UK, Spain, Germany, Ukraine, Czech Republic, 
over in Asia, China, Hong Kong, Thailand, and even Australia. If you'd like me to speak at your next event, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash speaker and tell me a little bit more about your event and we'll go from there. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.